Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Well, I kind of, I I didn't really want to start something new since I was going to be leaving, and just had a, a lot of, I don't know, a lot of things happening, kind of distractions, and it wasn't so much like, oh, I got to get ready to leave distractions. It was more other things that need to take place before we can leave, kind of distractions that weren't even related to leaving. Um, but last week afterwards, we had a great conversation, you know, just I thought it was a great conversation talking about how we communicate with people um, how we deal with people in different situations, the idea of homosexuality or the topic of homosexuality came up and we talked quite a bit about that. How do we present ourselves? And one of the things I want to share and kind of talk about is how we, um, how we think about things. And a lot of times, like I was going to title this, how we fix things, but really I think it should be how we try to fix things. Because a lot of times we try to fix things and we really um, can't fix things as much as we would like. And one of the things that I think is important is the freedom to think and allow the Lord to minister to us, of course, through Scripture and His Spirit working within us that it would be foolish for anyone to think that they have it all figured out. Right? Okay, I know what the Bible says about every circumstance. It's cut clear, clean. There's not anything I can learn more about whatever it is. And you can pick a topic, justification, salvation, uh, communion. I've learned so much just about the idea of communion in the last few years that I look back at what I thought of communion 10 years ago, and it's not even close to what it is now in so many ways, and it's so much more rich now than it used to be. But I know what it's about. I know it's about Jesus' death and remembering, but how it takes place and what's supposed to take place with us 
has developed and grown. And I think it will still develop and grow. I think in 10 years, I'll probably look back and go, wow, it's so much more deep than I thought it was even 10 years ago. And I think there are so many things like that. I mean, come on, if God is real and he's this big, how can we fully understand him? And the scriptures that are giving us a revelation of who he is are going to be as deep and have so much ability to speak to us for generations and generations to come. But how we think is really important because if we get to a place where our minds start to close to the idea of God doing something, then we will never even branch out there. If we can't even talk about these things for fear of judgment, fear of someone condemning us because you thought that. I wonder about this. And so, oh, you can't think about that. Why can't I think about it? I just was wondering about it. Yeah, I'm not wholly in that camp, but I'm wondering about this. And why can't we think this way? There was a young man named Mike Marcella. And when he was in high school, he was running the mile in just over four minutes. It was four minutes and nine seconds. And he was trying to get to that under the four-minute mile, okay? And, like, that's just unreal to me, that you can run a mile in under four minutes. Just no way, you know? It's like four hours, yes. You know, four minutes. I I just can't imagine this. And, And so he's got a scholarship, he's going to college, and he's on his way. I mean, he's just a high school kid, his body's still developing, and it's like he's sure to get this and break that four-minute mile, be one of the few who have done that. He used to have a moped, and when he was riding somewhere, he got hit by a car on his moped, was in the hospital for a number of days, had a brain injury, you know, didn't remember his mom when he woke up, and was having a problem recalling these things. And then finally, he started getting things back to memory, and he wanted to go back and start running, because he remembered that was just a passion. And so he started going back. And his first meet, he was in the mile, and at half, at, yeah, half a mile, he was at like two minutes, one, or yeah, two minute, one second. So he was on track. But then it just fell apart. He just got winded. He just could not do it. And he just lost it. He just thought, oh, no, it's over. I can't do this anymore. I'm not the same person I was. And he got locked into this thing where he could not do it because of what had happened to him, because of how he saw himself. He was just stuck at this place where he said, I can't do this. I no longer can run like I used to run. I'm winded. Something is wrong. And really his body had recovered, but it was happening in how he was thinking. And finally, in one of these meets when he was running, he came to this place where he had to push through the pain. And what was happening is when that pain would come, the pain would start to dominate his thinking where all he would do is see the pain, see the pain. I can't get past the pain. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. And so then he would lose out. It would affect him. And finally, he came to the place. He says, I need to get to the other side of this pain. And he pushed through it. And as he pushed through it, his speed started picking up. And then he was able to break the four-minute mile. It was three minutes and 59 seconds. But he made it. 
And it all had to do with him saying, no, this can't happen, to no, I'm going to see this happen. And I think of some of the things that I would like to see take place as the the church. I would like to see the church be the end to racism. I think that should be our mandate and our call. I don't know how that can happen, at least not all the pieces, but I just feel like we got to get past this. We should be the ones to get past this. We should be the ones to bring healing to our country when it comes to racism. Political situation. We should be the ones who can get past this Democrat, Republican, antagonism towards each other. We should be the ones who get past that in spite of the disagreements that we have. We should be the ones who can push past this. And if we just say, well, nope, I can't see how it can be. Man, look at this person. I can't get by. I look at this person. I can't. If we get to that place and we get stuck, we will never get past it. We have to think there is some way that we can push through whatever these things are. We want to reach the homosexual community. I want to push past the obstacles. I want to reach them for Christ in a way that brings them up to Jesus. How do we do that? We, we get locked in. Well, are you going to let them do this? Are we going to? Let's not stop and have our thinking stop. Let's continue to push into these things so that we can get past them. They do this test with rats where if a rat knows to go and knock on this door and it'll get food, it'll get used to going to that door and getting food. And it'll do it all the time. And it'll be fine. But if every now and then they set it up so if you press on this button, instead of getting food, you get an electrical shock, you get a kind of a correction, it will make the rat crazy. He will go psychotic because he doesn't know, can I press it or can't I press it? If I press it, I might get food. If I press it, I might get shocked. I don't know what to do. It will adapt to the fact that you no longer get food or pressing it won't give you food, but it can't adapt to the fact that sometimes you get something good, sometimes you get something bad. It can't adjust. And I think we're similar. Where sometimes we get so stuck in these things, oh, we just can't get there. We just can't get there. If I try and something bad happens, we just shut down. If I try to reach out and then someone shuts it down, then I don't want to try again because it's too painful to have that kind of disappointment. It hurts. And so a lot of times we quit trying. And so how do we get past these anxieties and the stress and the things that we deal with? In Matthew uh, chapter, we're going to be Matthew chapter 7, so you can open there. But this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon, Jesus talks about not being anxious, not worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, that God provides for the flowers, he'll provide for you. He provides for the birds, he'll provide for you. He, he knows the, the hair on your head. He, he's there to care for you, watch over you. He, he wants us to be aware of these things and, and telling us not to worry. 
And so he starts this end portion with how we are to surrender this anxiety for our lives, that we are not to worry about these things, for the pagans worry about these things. And so how do we surrender this anxiety and this need to have control over all these areas of our lives? And as he's talking about that, he moves from us having anxiety to control our lives to actually moving to a place where we feel the need to control other people's lives. And this is, I think, really an important part of our own health. At least I am recognizing it in my life. And in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Do not judge or you will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There are three types of judging that are kind of described throughout Scripture. One is that of a legal term. It's, it's kind of the courtroom idea where they pass judgment. He robbed the store. He's guilty of that, and so here's the crime. Okay, He's not talking about this judicial system kind of judgment. It's not like if you we're not supposed to convict anyone of robbery or murder. That's not what he's talking about here. It's not that kind of judgment. And all of them use the same word. It's the word krino in the Greek. But it's not that kind of judgment, the legal courtroom kind of a judgment. The other is judgments that we make every day. It's the decision. Everyone makes judgments. You made a judgment what shirt to wear of what to eat. Those are all judgments. I don't want Chipotle. I want In-N-Out. You've made a judgment. And he's not talking about that kind of judgment, about making those kinds of decisions of different choices. What he's talking about here, this judgment, is about putting someone down and by putting them down, elevating yourself up. In other words, you're here and I'm here. And usually it's in the area of morality. You're not as devout as I am. You're more of a sinner than I am. It's this kind of comparison that's taking place. That's why he's talking about in the same way you measure, it's going to be measured to you. It's you're you're saying I'm up here, there, down there, and God's saying, okay, you want to measure? We can measure. And so it has to do with this comparing, this lifting ourselves up. In the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, "Don't criticize," because that has the idea here. Don't start critiquing them. Oh, they're like this. Oh, you're morally superior. You see, what you're doing is you're putting them in a category. You're judging them and seeing them as something, and you're also seeing them not as you. And so that's where he's talking about here. And what's starting to take place is he's told us how to deal with ourselves, but now we need to learn how to deal with others. Because I'm telling you, the biggest issue in my life are other people. (laughs) if I could get other people to just do what I say, life would be so much better. If they could 
understand my world and the way I want things done, then I wouldn't have these problems with them. That's my, my way of thinking. And so first I have to deal with my own self and surrendering to the anxiety, but now I've got to start to surrender my desire to control others. And that's really hard. And right after he talks about this judgment, because you're measuring yourself to this person and you're critiquing them and you're seeing them as less than, he goes on, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And now he's using exaggerated terminology. It's almost like slapstick. The people are probably laughing at this illustration because it is so huge. You know, you, you see the dust in your brother, but you got a plank. You can't even get near them because you've got this huge plank in your eye. And then he says, you hypocrite, keeping that theatric theme there. You see, he's, he's trying to get them to see, don't you see? And he's using this in large terms to help us to understand that you're not able to fix them that you need to actually fix yourself. And until you're into a place of health, you are no use to anyone else as far as critiquing. Because your critique is now tainted by your prejudice, by your judgment. You're seeing them less. You're seeing yourself more. There's a plank in your eye, your distance. You don't understand them enough to be able to be close to them, to be able to help them. Why not? Because of your judgment, because it has separated you, because you don't recognize that judgment is blinding you to what really needs to take place. But it's difficult because we want to remove that speck. It bothers me that you've got that speck in your eye. It bothers me that you have this issue. It bothers me that you do things this way, that you don't see the problem in your life here. It bothers me. And it doesn't mean there aren't problems. It doesn't mean that someone isn't making destructive decisions and it's leading to destructive behavior. But he's helping us to see the lack of control we have in someone else's life. And that's where I believe he's going to. He goes on in verse six and he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Have you ever tried to show someone the error of their ways and they got mad at you? that you've tried to, to make someone aware, you know, you've got a really bad drinking problem 
And so you go to them and you approach them and you can do it kind and you can do it with as much insight. You can have all the statistics that are about drinking and about them and the problems. Look at this area you have. You're falling into this. Don't you see that you've got a a problem with drinking? Because look at what's happened. You've got a DUI. It's cost you this much money. You're spending this much money every week on alcohol. You've missed work. You've done these things. Don't you see these things? And that person comes back and says, leave me alone. Alone, get out of my business. What's happening? You are wanting for the best of intentions to control that person's life because you see something wrong. But they are not ready to accept it. What do you do? Do you keep pushing? Do you keep pushing? Or do you recognize now is not the time? I've got something very important, but they're acting like a dog. I've got something very valuable, but they're unclean like a pig. And there is this understanding in the Hebrew mind, the dogs and the pigs are unclean. And so there's this idea, don't try to to convince these Gentile peoples to your way of thinking. They're not going to see it in this way. There's that mentality of thinking. But even more than that, I think that there's something that he's trying to get us to understand, that there is a time when we have to recognize that We cannot control other people the way we really want to try and take control of other people. And when we try to take control, it can come back and it can bite us. It can actually begin to affect us. And what starts to happen is when we have this way of living and this way of thinking and people aren't living according to this way, they drink too much, they smoke too much, they have too much freedom in these areas and we want to conform them into this area, what happens is systems always bend towards self-preservation. In other words, we've got a church and this is how we want to do things. And then the world starts doing things different. And to reach these people, we have to extend ourselves. And we want to first start to control these people. We want to start judging these people. We want to start telling them, hey, you can't come to church unless you're like this. And we start trying to bring this kind of shame on them. And we do it in our families, right? Dad's an alcoholic, but no one says anything. Why? Because just don't make any waves. We want to preserve the system of our family. And then one of the kids said, hey, dad's an alcoholic. Wake up. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to make waves? Why can't you just leave it alone? Don't you know it's going to get them upset? And they start to buck the system. And so everyone wants to silence that, that voice. No, 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 no. You can't say that. Because it's going to cause conflict. And so you try and put that voice down. You try and stop that voice from rising up and talking about the things that are there. Can he change dad's problem? No. He can make an awareness of it. But if you keep on 
giving what is sacred to a dog or putting pearl before swine, they'll turn on you. The whole family may turn on you because you're standing up for something and they're not ready to take it. And it happens all the time. So what do you have to do? You have to make the choice of how you're going to live and not try and change the way they're going to live if they refuse to see where they're at and the air that's there. And I'm telling you, the freedom that people have to choose and do what they want is beyond our ability to change. It is. You can make someone aware. I thought there were so many times, especially with our kids, I thought I've made it so clear how they should stop this behavior, how destructive it is, why they should. I've done it in the most loving way possible. I've done all that I can. And it, it's like it, I said nothing. And it drives me crazy. And it steals my peace because not only am I not able to to fix the situation, but now it feels like they're actually angry at me for even trying. And I think it's one of these areas where we have to see that we have to be willing to give people their space to not put ourselves morally above them, be willing to let them make the mistakes that they're going to make and not feel that we have to change them in order for us to have peace. Because you can't. And so now I'm trying to control my life and now I'm trying to control their life. Now I'm finding that I don't have the ability to control any life. And it's this dangerous place where we start having conflict because we want to take control. And again, it could be all the best reasons, but you can't. And it's difficult because we want to be able to do that. Can you think of anyone in your life that you're not at peace with the freedom that they have to make their own choices? Anyone? Where you're not at peace with their freedom. It's taking your peace, their ability to make their choices. So what do we do? How do we deal with it? And this is where I think all these things are fitting together. First of all, don't make a comparison between you and them. Recognize that there are things you don't see that you don't understand. You have to give them space. But then he goes on and he says, ask. It will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We can pray. We can go to God for these people that we love. 
and ask God to open hearts, change circumstances, and do what we cannot do. And it will be to our benefit to stop trying to make the change, but leave room for God to make the change so that we don't lose our peace because of their freedom. And that is a very difficult thing to do because we want to take charge. And so many times I see the right thing to do. At least it seems right to me. And sometimes I think God is saying, not yet. Not yet. It's not the right time. No, they're not at bottom yet. And I'm thinking, God, this has to be the bottom. This has to be the bottom. They can't get any lower. But God is giving them that freedom to make those choices. You need to give them that freedom too. But you can ask. You can seek. You can knock. You can pray. But sometimes that's where you have to go. You can't control, but you can pray. And it's a difficult thing because when I don't have peace because of their choices, it's something's going on and I have to recognize that in my life. What, what is it that I, why am I losing peace? Well, because I love them. I don't want to see them make these mistakes. Well, really what it is, is I want control over that. And so many times it, it comes across like this when you're talking to someone or someone will be talking to me and they'll say, what can I do to get my son to go to church? Nothing. Sometimes you can't do anything. How old's your son? He's 27. Yeah, yeah that, that's the dog before the swine. You see, that's the pushing. That's where it'll come back and bite you. Well, what can I do to get my wife to see this way? Well, sometimes you can't do anything. How can I get them to start? And do you see what we're doing? We're wanting to control. How can I get them? And it's like, well, we see that this is the right way. We, we believe this is the right way. How can I get them from this place that I don't like to this place where I do like? And sometimes there is nothing you can do. And you have to leave it at that. And you have to be okay with that. Because otherwise, it will steal your peace. My friend whose son committed suicide. This has been, I think, three years now, three years ago. And he still writes these blogs and, and, and there are still these questions and I still hear in his writings, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done this? What if I would have done this? And, and then the answer comes back, what if you did all those things and he still had the freedom to make this choice? And his son was sick 
And he had some mental problems. He had some brain things going on that weren't right. And it's not his fault for what his son did. And for him to have peace, he has to recognize that there came a time where you just could not do anything except pray and ask. And then you have to let go and say, God, I hate the way this is, but it wasn't my responsibility. I'm not better than them but I could not do anything to help them. And that is difficult, especially for a parent. You never stop praying. You never stop loving. You never stop caring. You never stop hurting. But sometimes you have to stop trying to take control and realize they are in control of their life. Now, if there is a sickness, you try and get them help. But sometimes it's just that's what they want to do and they will do what they want to do. And if you push and you push, it's taking pearls before the swine. You're, you're, they're not ready to hear what it is you have to say and they will turn on you if you push too hard. And I think that happens a lot. And, and so... Not a real encouraging study this evening. But it's one that's just relevant to me, especially as I'm thinking of how do we maintain peace in our lives? Well, you know, we've been kind of, I have to surrender my anxiety in my own life, worrying about what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to provide all these things and trust God. I need to let go of the Surrender that idea of controlling someone else's life. And again, doing the same thing is I've got to trust God. I've got to ask. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to pray for opportunities and doors to open. It doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean you don't engage. But you have to be able to understand when you draw back. And then sometimes you have to look and see, am I seeing things the right way? When you're dealing with someone, for example, who has a, a, an addiction, who has a, a problem in some area, if you don't step into their thinking because you've got a I'm here, you're there mentality and you've got a beam between you, then you're not going to understand what is necessary for them to get out of those places. If you've got someone who is dealing with a mental illness and you just try and tell them, hey, you just need to do this, you just need to do this, and you just need to do this, and you don't realize that their brain can't connect the dots the way it should, then you're going to end up causing more damage than good by telling them, don't do this. Hey, stop it. You start enforcing these things. And so a lot of these things are requiring us to step into a more empathetic way, but also a way that trusts God for the areas where we can't, to not be so controlling and to trust that God can take control. The whole idea of judgment is, again, you placing this comparison, you seeing things not right, and then you trying to push things before they're ready actually to change. Any thoughts or questions? Oh. Let's pray. 
Father, I love these people. I love this time. I love our conversations. And Lord, I pray that there would be more and more people who've never prayed who would start praying. I pray there would be more and more people who struggle and would share their struggles. And I pray that there would be more and more freedom in our community to be real, to be genuine, and to, Father, not allow those things to interfere with our care and concern for one another. And Lord, I do pray you'd give us wisdom on how to love and how to care and when to speak and when to be silent, when to push and when to back away. I pray, Father, that you would make us aware of the times we do judge in this way that's wrong. When we do start looking down upon or belittling people because of where they're at in comparison to where we're at. Help us, Lord, not to put a distance between us and others in that way. And I do pray, Lord, that you would give us that wisdom of not taking things that are sacred and giving them to people who are just in the mindset of dogs, who are not ready to receive it, who don't want it, but not to give up, Lord, to still pray, to still ask and to still seek and to still knock and and Lord, to still love like you love and still treat others as we'd want to be treated. Lord, all these things are working together and I pray, God, that you would help us to not hand the peace of our hearts over to other people and not allow them to dictate, Lord, the peace that you want to give us. God, that is so difficult because we love and we care, but Lord, we can't control Help us to understand these boundaries, Lord, and be healthy in them, Lord, whatever that looks like. And I do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.